Psalms 24, and uh, I'll begin reading at verse 7. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, lift up you, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. The King of glory shall come in. For the next few moments, I want to talk to you about a message that I've entitled Opposition at the Gate. Opposition at the Gate, Overcoming the Leviathan Spirit. For the last few weeks, I've been talking to you about keys. Last Sunday, I talked to you about keys that will unlock doors that have previously been inaccessible. I talked to you about chains, chains that bind, chains that hold us in bondage, and how God would give you a key that would unlock those chains. And then I talked about how that key will give you access at the gate. I want to talk to you about doors that need to be unlocked. A door in Scripture represents three things. First of all, it represents entrance, according to Exodus 12, verse 2. Secondly, it represents access, according to John chapter 10, verse 7 and 9. Third, it represents opportunity, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12. I believe that we are entering into a 1 Corinthians 16, 9 moment. You say, what is a 1 Corinthians 16, 9 moment? Well, the Apostle Paul defines this in 1 Corinthians 16, 9. For a great and effective door has opened to me, but there are many adversaries. A great and effective door is open to me, but there will be a battle as we get ready to enter into that door because the adversary opposes us at the door. So God is opening doors for you individually. He's opening doors for your ministry. He's opening doors for this congregation corporately. And he's placing keys in our hands to unlock provision, to unlock doors of opportunity, and to experience breakthrough. I want to tell you that the month of July, I'm going to prophesy for a moment, the month of July will be a month of surprises. I want to tell you this is going to be a month of surprises. Hallelujah. I'm not talking about bad surprises, but good surprises. God has surprises for his people. So I was preparing this message. I heard the Lord say, I'm giving keys for breakthrough in long-standing situations, in stubborn situations, in things that have not moved, but in the previously and look like they will not move. The Lord is giving breakthrough in those areas in this sea. There are keys that he's going to put into your hands. Keys will give us access. A key is a small thing. Its significance lies in that which it opens. Keys open doors. And when strategic doors open, everything changes. And we're getting ready to access some very strategic doors. There are doors of access that we're going to unlock with the keys that God is placing in our hands. When God gets ready to bless you, 
He opens the windows of heaven. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. When God gets ready to bless you, he opens a window. When God gets ready to promote you, he opens a door. 2 Corinthians 2.12 Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord. In Psalm 78, verse 23, there's a reference to the one who opens the doors of heaven. Listen to what it says. Yet he commanded the clouds above, and he opened the doors of heaven. Windows represent blessing. Doors represent opportunity, promotion, and revelation. And then gates represent territory. Whoever sits at the gate controls what is inside those walls. Whoever sits at the gate controls that city, controls that nation, controls that region. Gates represent territory. Territory is your sphere of authority that God has given to you. You have authority inside your territory. When I travel, when Sean travels, we know that God gives us authority in those places that we are going. When we pray and God says, I want you to go to Pakistan or I want you to go to Australia or I want you to go to Greenville, South Carolina. For that time that we're there, we have authority. That is a territory defined. Now, if I stay past my moment, I can undo what God did because I don't have authority within that territory. The way I believe authority works, it works within your territory. How do I define my territory? Well, for some, it's your home. For some, it's your workplace. For some, it's a neighborhood, a community. For some, it's a city and even some it is a nation gates represent territory and the battle is at the gate Isaiah 28 6 says for a spirit of justice to him who sets in judgment and for strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate we have to turn back the battle at the gate this Hebrew year 5777 is the year of the sword of the Lord coming into the earth we defined this early on last year that this would be a year of warfare. That's why we're seeing all this warfare going on around us. That's why there's such a, ra- there's such a rattling of the sabers in the world today. That's why you're hearing such rumors of wars and, and wars among people in this city, in this region that we live in, and spiritual warfare. It's a year of warfare. The Bible says in Job, Jude 1 verse 3, Beloved, While I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. We're to contend earnestly for the faith. In Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. 1 Timothy 6, 12, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, for which you were called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 1 Timothy 1, 18, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good Warfare. Let's look at that from the New Living Translation. It says, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. And one important thing to remember this morning, the battle is not yours. 
This is the year of the sword of the Lord coming down into the earth. This is not the year where we pull the sword out. No, this is the year where the sword of the Lord is coming down in the earth. He's coming to fight for us. Hallelujah! He commands the angel armies and he's coming on our behalf. If you're trying to do anything for God, you're, you're experiencing opposition right now. The enemy's attacking your family. He's coming against you. He's coming against, he's coming against his, this church. He's coming against God's people in this hour. This is a year of warfare. But I've come this morning not to glorify the devil, not to tell you that the battle's hard and, and that, that the battle that we're going to lose. I've come to tell you that we've already won the battle in the name of the Lord, that he made a show openly of principalities and powers. And the battle's not yours. It's his battle. We're part of his army. There's a spirit working in our nation today. I want to expose who he is. It's the Leviathan spirit. That's what's causing all of this commotion in the news and all this commotion and all this, what you call fake news. How many of you heard that term, fake news? What is it that's working behind that? It's the Leviathan spirit. There's a a spirit of accusation that has been released in our nation. And we have to be careful as Christians that we don't get caught up in that spirit of accusation. If we're not careful, we become like the accuser of the brethren. Revelation 12, 11 identifies the enemy as the accuser of the brethren. So this morning, I want to expose this spirit. How does Leviathan work? Together, I want to define who this spirit is, how he's demonstrate how he works, and then show you how to defeat it. How many of you know Leviathan can be defeated in the name of the Lord? So let's look at who he is. How do we identify him? Well, we look to the word of God. Job 41.1, they'll put it on the screen. Can you draw out Leviathan with a hook or snare his tongue with a line which you lower? Isaiah 27.1, in that day, the Lord with his severe sword, great and strong. Remember what I said about the sword of the Lord coming down in the earth. The Lord with his severe sword, great and strong, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing servant. Leviathan, that twisted serpent, and he will slay the reptile that is in the sea. Psalm 74, 13 and 14. You divided the sea by your strength. You broke the heads of the sea serpent in the waters. You broke the heads of Leviathan in pieces and gave him as food to the people inhabiting the wilderness. So who is Leviathan? The Easton's Illustrated Bible Dictionary said Leviathan is a cruel enemy. Some believe that it is a reference to the Nile crocodile. I want you to think about the Nile crocodile. The Nile crocodile, the male can be up to almost 18 feet long and weigh up to 1,200 pounds. How would you like to meet an 18-foot-long, 1,200-pound crocodile on your next fishing trip? Think about a crocodile up to 18 feet long, weighing up to 1,200 pounds. They live to be almost 100 years old. Ron Phillips writes, he said, Although we don't know exactly what species Leviathan was, the brow driver Briggs Hebrew lexicon says this is a dragon, not unlike a dinosaur, a beast that is hostile to God's people. Some believe it was possibly a crocodile. David Canastracy writes, he said, while there are a number of theories about what these verses describe, most scholars have linked Leviathan to the Nile crocodile. He continues, but Leviathan is clearly more than a crocodile. Isaiah sees him as a spiritual enemy, a supernatural serpent that must be Defeated. Serpents and dragons embody the work of Satan throughout the scriptures. Leviathan's crooked path can be traced from the serpent in Eden to the dragon of Revelation. He's a fierce speaker. And I want you to think about this. Do you remember the mother of Moses, Jochebed? 
She set Moses in that little basket and put him out into the Nile. He was in danger of one of these crocodiles. God watched over that little basket that she made so that he could protect it and divinely position Moses to later become the one who delivered Israel out of Egypt. There's a picture of it on the screen. He's a fierce spirit. Scripture speaks of a frightening spirit, one who is not easily detected or caught through natural means. Job 41.1, can you draw out Leviathan with a hook or snare his tongue with a line which you lower? We cannot battle the spirit in the flesh. In Ephesians 6, we learn that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This spirit seeks to block the flow of God's purpose, God's power, and God's prosperity in your life. So we believe it could very well be like the crocodile. That's Leviathan defined. Let's look at Leviathan demonstrated. What are the characteristics of this spirit? How does Leviathan work? This crocodile will take its prey and pull it into the water and he twists. It's called the death roll. They'll grab their prey. They pull it into the water. They could cut you in half with their bite. They have such a strong, awesome bite. And when they latch on to you, you can't hardly get loose. And what they do is they pull you into the water. They don't kill you with the bite. They drown you. He'll pull in the water and he'll twist and roll until the life goes out of its prey. In Isaiah 27.1, it calls Leviathan the twisted serpent. It is this animal, the Nile crocodile, God chooses as an example of one of the most hideous and hidden enemies in the church. Now, the Nile crocodile is an African crocodile. And the crocodiles follow the water. And when the water will dry up in times of drought, they will go into other places. And sometimes they will hide, even in small pools of water, and sometimes in the mud. So I want you to know it's a hidden spirit. Leviathan's clear mission is to destroy the lives of God's people by dividing them in subtle ways. The name Leviathan comes from a root word that means to twist. One of his primary tactics, like the crocodile, Leviathan approaches its prey slyly, just under the surface. And when the moment is right, It strikes explosively with one aim, taking hold of its victims and twisting them apart. Ever so often you'll read in the news about someone who went swimming in an area where there were crocodiles and they'll they'll wind up being killed by a crocodile. If I see a sign, I'm not going in and messing around with no crocodile. Come on, somebody. It lurks just under the surface. And what it wants to do is it wants to, to block the flow of God's purpose in your life. It wants to hinder God's power, and it wants to prevent you from realizing the blessing that God has for you as you walk with him. Job 41.4 reveals that he will not live in covenant. The Leviathan spirit will not live in covenant, making it one of the most dangerous of spiritual enemies. Where this spirit is working, covenant relationships are broken, marriages are destroyed, business partners crumble, friendships dissolve, and churches implode. This spirit always seeks to divide us. It attacks our unity. How many of you know none of us probably are going to agree on every point of Scripture? Some of my dearest and closest friends that I love and I cherish them, their their friendship and and appreciate them and have great confidence. We don't agree always on, on the timing of the coming of the Lord. One of my mentors, we had a difference of opinion on that. And you know what? Instead of me criticizing him, I would often listen to him to see, how did you come to this 
believing this? How did you get to, what was the process? What did you study? What scripture spoke to you? Because I wanted to understand why he felt the way that he felt. So in place of letting those things divide us, we should let those things make us stronger. And what will happen is, is we will either become stronger in what we believe because we will study it out, or we may be convinced that they're right because we weren't seeing something that they were seeing. I don't consider any church in this city to be an enemy. But I want to tell you, we agree on far more than we disagree on. And there are different tribes in the body of Christ. And God needs every tribe. And my prayer is, touch every church in Greenwood with revival. Touch it with a move of your spirit. Let every church become a soul-saving station. Let every church become a lighthouse. Let every church rise up in the name of the Lord. See healing in its midst. And be filled with the Spirit. I pray that we'll start hearing the reports of revival from Panola United Methodist Church over here. I say that we'll start hearing reports of revival from Matthews United Methodist Church, from Self down the street here, from Restoration Ministries, from the South, South Greenwood Assembly of God, from all these churches. We just start hearing about growth, and we start hearing about prosperity and blessing, and we hear that in Jesus' name. And we bless all of them today in the name of the Lord. We will not allow the enemy to divide us. The Spirit seeks to block the flow of God's purpose. He will not live in covenant. He always seeks to divide us, tax our unity. I believe there are three characteristics that the Lord spoke to me about Leviathan. Slander, sabotage, and subterfuge. He works through slander, sabotage, and subterfuge. He uses slander and accusation. Dr. Keenan Bridges writes, he said, slander is the first transgression in the Bible. When slander is operating, our faith and trust in the character of the person slandered is damaged and broken, so we no longer see them the same way. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia defines slander as follows. It is an accusation maliciously uttered with the purpose or effect of damaging the reputation of another. As a rule, it is a false charge, but it may be a truth circulated insidiously and with a hostile Purpose. Pamela Rose Williams writes, one of the things that can destroy any church or ministry is gossip. Other terms in the Bible for gossip include backbiter, busybody, slanderer, secret, talebearer, and whispers. So then a biblical definition of gossip would be to spread rumors or secrets, speak about someone maliciously behind their back, or repeat something about someone else that you may have no right to repeat. Phillips Writes, he said, this spirit twists the truth, that twisted serpent. Here's how it works. Something is said from the word, and before you hear it, he twists it till you hear wrong. He comes and he disrupts communication so that you hear something different than what was said. It seeks to create confusion. How many of you know God's not the author of confusion? The Heritage Dictionary defines sabotage as treacherous action to defeat or hinder a cause or an endeavor to deliberate, deliberate subversion. What is the spirit? How does this spirit use sabotage? It will use any means to obstruct you, to keep you from breakthrough that God has planned for you and your family. Just when you're at the door of your breakthrough, something will come along and sabotage that. You feel like I'm, I'm at the point of my miracle. I'm at the place of my breakthrough. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, something just pulls the rug out from under you. That is a spirit of sabotage. That is Leviathan working against you. I was almost there. And we begin to believe that that is our lot in life, that somehow that we're never going to get to that place of breakthrough because the enemy's going to come at that moment of breakthrough and steal it away. How do I overcome that? You press in by faith. 
You refuse to allow the spirit of sabotage to keep you from God's best. You have to use your faith and stand your ground. What is the purpose of sabotage? To discourage you, cause you to lose heart, and eventually give up. Its purpose is to hinder through subversion. Let me give you an example. You start praying about a circumstance or a situation in your life or in your family's life. You start interceding. You start declaring God's purposes. And what will happen? That situation sometimes will get worse. That situation will get worse. And you think, my goodness, I had the word of the Lord. My goodness, I, I, I know God spoke to me that things were going to be better. I'm believing God that things are going to get better. But it, before it gets better, it'll begin to get worse. The person you're praying for, they'll get worse. They'll pull, they'll pull away from God. They'll do something that's just the opposite of what God said. That's the spirit of sabotage working. And let me tell you how this spirit works. It works behind the scenes. It knows I can't take him on face to face. So it'll work behind the scenes in order to sabotage what God wants to do. It's a hindering spirit. It's meant to discourage you. It's meant to depress you. It's meant to cause you to lose heart. It will hinder through subversion. So what the enemy cannot do outwardly, he will do under the cover of darkness. The Apostle Paul wrote these words in Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Due season. That word due season there can also be translated as an appointed season. How many of you know there's an appointed season? I was looking this over this morning and thinking on this this morning. And I thought, Lord, you have an appointed season of breakthrough. You have an appointed season. You're going to open a door. You have an appointed season that, God, this key that's in my hand is going to access what I previously couldn't access. It's going to unlock provision. It's going to unlock the anointing. It's going to unlock what I need to be unlocked in this season to accomplish what I've called to accomplish because this is an appointed season. wants to keep you from entering that appointed season. Operates under the cupboard of darkness. A subterfuge. When Nehemiah returned, he rallied the people to start the process of rebuilding the walls. He was met with opposition. I've been to that place. That's exactly where I stayed in Jerusalem. It's called Iron Rogel. It is the place where the serpent head well was. That's what it says in the King James Version. It's called Dragon Head in other versions. But there was a well there, and he pulled the leaders there at night, and he began to talk to them at night in order not to alert the enemy to what he was doing, that God had sent him there to rebuild the walls that had been broken down and left in a broken down state. And the enemy realized that he could not confront him openly, so they went to work behind the scenes. Nehemiah 2.19, But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, What is this thing you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? They opposed Nehemiah through ridicule. The name Sanballat means sin gives strength. In Nehemiah 4.1, he uses an accusation. But it so happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant, and he mocked the Jews. Do you remember the story of Elisha when the king of Syria sent to attack him? They came by night under the cover of darkness. And when he woke up the next morning, the, the servant said, we're surrounded. There's a great host. There's an army around us. What are we going to do? Elisha never panicked. He said, oh, there's more with us than against us. Open his eyes, Lord, and let him see. And when he opened his eyes, he saw a host of angels that were there. I've come by to tell you, it looks like at times we're outnumbered, outgunned, outfinanced. And it looks like we're overwhelmed. But they are more with us today than they are against us. Amen. 
They use scorn, they use slander, they use ridicule, they mock the Jews to try to keep them from the purpose of rebuilding the walls. When you go to Jerusalem today, there are parts of that wall. The current wall was built in the 1500s by one of the Ottoman rulers around the old city. But there are parts in that wall that say that was a part of Nehemiah's wall. That was a part of where Nehemiah built. I stopped, I made a picture of it, I wanted to see it because that was the place where Nehemiah came to rebuild the walls. That's what we're called to do in this city. We're called to rebuild the walls. And we're called to be stationed at the gate. And we are to, we are to only let that which God sends access the gate. We're to close that gate to unrighteousness. Close that gate to evil. Close that gate to wickedness. And only open it to the king of glory. So the king of glory can come in. So we need to pray that God will expose this spirit that works under the cover of darkness. My last point is simply this. How do we defeat Leviathan? We've defined him. We've demonstrated him. But now we're going to defeat him in the name of Jesus. How's he defeated? He's defeated in that name. There's no other name under heaven whereby men might be saved but the name of Jesus. There's power in that name. Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Colossians 2.13. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it. We must ask the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts. Have you allowed Leviathan to use you? Holy Spirit, examine our hearts. Have I said things that brought harm to others' reputations? Have I listened to things and contemplated things that were gossip, that were slanderous, that were untrue? I don't believe anything that I read anymore, hardly. Especially all this stuff that just comes over Facebook. I mean, you know, you name it, it's out there. I always look at the source. What is the source? Is this a reputable news agency? And of course, nowadays, you don't even know if they're telling the truth. And then you look for confirmation in other places. That's the spirit that's working in this nation today. It wants to separate us and divide us. Divide us politically. We're on the right, they're on the left. We're Republicans, they're Democrats. We're Democrats, they're Republicans. Christians ought not to be defined by those labels. We're believers. We're children of the king. We're to love Democrats and love Republicans. And sometimes it's hard to tell the difference in the two. The Bible says we're to pray for those who are in authority. That means we pray for presidents we like, and we pray for presidents we don't like. Come on, somebody. We're to honor the authority that God puts over us in our lives. And if we dishonor it, we're allowing Leviathan to use us. You need to pray for our local mayor, our county officials. Pray for our city. Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, pray for those who are in authority that it may be peaceful for you. We need to pray that God will turn their hearts, that God will give us influence in those areas. Search my heart, Lord. Search my heart, Lord. Examine our hearts today. And then we have to close any door of access the enemy would use to gain entrance. Psalm seventy-four, fourteen speaks the defeat of Leviathan. You broke the head of Leviathan in pieces and gave him as food to the peoples inhabiting the wilderness. Isaiah 27, 1, in that day the Lord with his severe sword, great and strong, will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. Leviathan, that twisted serpent, he will slay the reptile that's in the sea. We defeat him with the sword of the Lord. Isaiah defines this sword as severe, great, and strong. This is the sword of the Spirit. Ephesians 6, 17 says, take on the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's also representative of the Word. Hebrews 4, 
12 and 13, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow and the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from its sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The sword of the spirit and the word will expose Leviathan. And then we must resist the devil and he will flee. Ephesians 4.27, nor give place to the devil. And then Revelation 12, 10 and 11, here's how he works. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Notice Leviathan works through words. Through twisted speech. How do we overcome him? By the word of our testimony. What is our testimony? Our testimony is what's written on the pages of this holy book. We speak the word over our circumstance. You're sick this morning, what do you do? By his stripes, I'm healed. Why can't I say that? How can I say by his stripes, I'm healed? Because the word says it. You have need this morning financially, he shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. How can I say that? Because this word says it. See, I'm speaking life into a place of death. I'm speaking blessing into a place of lack. I'm speaking God's word. There's power in the word today. When you face a circumstance or a situation, you find out what God's word says about it. And you come into agreement with God's word. Stop coming into agreement with the enemy. Stop coming into agreement with the naysayers. Stop coming into agreement with the doubt and the unbelief. Come into agreement with God's word. Amen. One of the most stunning victories in the annals of warfare occurred in 1991 in the desert war, in the, in the Iraqi war. The defeat of the Iraqi strongman Saddam Hussein and the liberation of Kuwait during the Gulf War. Military historians tell us that one of the most important reasons that war was won so decisively The Allies lost 149 versus Iraqi losses of 100,000 or more. And quickly, only 100 hours, was that the Allied forces had a clear, in-depth understanding of Saddam Hussein's military strategy and were able to thwart the Iraqi dictator at every turn. When the military commanders of the Allied coalition learned that Saddam planned simply to replay the same strategy that he had used in the 1980-88 war with Iran, They knew exactly how to defeat him. The Allied generals, led by General Norman Swarthkopf, devised a strategy of encirclement. And even though Saddam's army outnumbered the coalition forces two to one and were well dug into their desert fortifications, the Allied coalition used a combination of superior placement, superior firepower, and technology, speed, and misdirection to defeat Iraq. While U.S. Marines conspicuously practiced for a seaborne invasion along the Kuwaiti coast, drawing Saddam's attention in the wrong direction, the main coalition force was massed for an invasion across the desert. Knowing the exact location of Saddam's tanks and artillery, the coalition pounded those locations with everything from bombers to helicopters. Knowing that Saddam's forces were dug in behind sand berms and other entrenchments, Allied troops practiced bulldozing and storming similar desert barricades until they could do it in their sleep. Once the war began, Iraqi troops began surrendering so eagerly to the Allies that they didn't know what to do and where to put them. 
And in one case, a pair of Iraqi armored vehicles encountered a long U.S. soldier whose vehicle was stuck in the sand. He expected to be shot or captured, but instead the Iraqi surrendered to him and helped him get his vehicle unstuck. The story of the 100-hour war in the Persian Gulf is an apt metaphor to describe our spiritual warfare against Satan. Though the devil would have us believe he's invincible, his cause has already been doomed by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we understand his strategy, the victory will be ours. And in the end, we will have the honor of standing with our commander-in-chief, the Lord Jesus Christ, and hear him declare that this raging tyrant, the devil, was no match for the forces of heaven. Look at your neighbor and tell him, we've already won. Hallelujah. Come on and give God praise. Stand with me this morning.